Hi, welcome to episode 47 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I discuss some of the key issues for FX markets during the dog days of summer, including the persistence of above-average volatility, the softening of oil prices, and the modest relief rally we've seen over the past two weeks in the euro. The title of this episode is... Parity Party Postponement, and Other Asundry Issues. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's get things rolling, uh, Greg. It's the 26th of July, 2022. Thanks uh, for listening to Global Exchanges for, for those tuning in. In view of the title of this episode uh, 47, Greg, let's mark where we are on the broad dollar month to date. And we see the dollar up about, call it one and a half to two percent. Um, but we are off the high for the cycle. And uh, for the euro portion of the dollar basket, the single currency has recorded a around a 3.5% decline for the month so far. Uh, and the major European currencies have been the laggards overall, particularly the, the net energy importers. Uh, but in euro, um, as mentioned or noted in the title, we've seen a bit of a rebound in the currency versus the dollar from the test of levels below parity in mid-July. In terms of the percentage move in euro dollar from the low, uh, we're a little over 1% above the low for the cycle. So, uh, Stephen, if I could interject with an explanation of our title. The last time that euro dollar broke below parity was in December of 1999. And I'll just say the global situation, it was much different then. We were in the height of the uh, dot-com boom and the NASDAQ had gained something ridiculous like 70% on the year. So with, uh, with equity returns like that, it was really hard for those of us in foreign exchange to get investors to pay any attention at all to FX. The employer that I worked for, you know, decided to throw a parity party just to sort of uh, be able to retain engagement with euphoric investors and point out to them that, you know, not only were um, amazing things happening in uh, equities, but also that uh, there were noteworthy things going on in the FX market too. So, at any rate, it's it's obviously a different world now, and this year's move below parity in euro dollar comes alongside a major correction in stocks and bonds uh, this year. So, with that intro, Stephen, my my question back to you is this: Was the move below parity on July fourteenth in euro dollar this year something that the ECB would want to celebrate with a party, or? Did that break of parity motivate the ECB to implement the 50 basis point rate hike we saw last week uh, as, as sort of a defense of the common currency? 
You know, I like this theme a lot, which is that the world has changed a great deal since the launch of the euro in 98, 99, particularly when we look at the global trade picture, amongst other factors. I mean, I guess we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that there has been a significant amount of change and upheaval in a little over 20 years or so. Uh, but in the last three to, three to five years, the, the pace of change appears to have accelerated, Greg. If we go back to 98, 99, and I pick up on your thoughts about the U.S. equity market surging, the reasons for the break below par in, in 99, I think were much more benign. And if I look back at the euro's for instance, the balance of payments data from around that period, I can see heavy net outflows of capital on the equity side, also reasonably large on the on the FDI side. And it's it's almost as if European investors were using their new currency to soak up foreign assets. But this time around, Greg, we're looking at, I think, a more pernicious move uh, lower in the euro. So yes, I think there are a number of ECB officials that have been perturbed by the move lower in the euro, but equally, I don't think there is a resounding view within the ECB that the institution is is able to stop it. For instance, on that point, what can the ECB really do about a negative flows picture, particularly since a lot of those flows have been in the current account? The ECB is kind of stuck, right? On the one hand, some officials would probably prefer the euro to be stronger, but on the other hand, if they attract too much attention to a single level in euro dollar, the FX market may test the ECB's resolve when the ECB doesn't really have the ammo to stop the move anyway. It's a bad situation to be in. In last week's post-ECB relief rally, Eurodollar spiked up to as high as 102.78, but that didn't last long. Now, less than a week later, we're back below 101.50 and uh, seem to be drifting lower. So, Stephen, my, uh, my next question what do you think about the rest of the summer, uh, say through the end of August? Do you think we will go back below one uh, quadruple zero in euro dollar and, uh, and maybe stay longer than a few hours this time? I think that is pretty much where the balance of risks um, is tilted, Greg, to another test below parity in euro dollar. And that's basically what we've been publishing in our outlook profiles uh, for that pair. I also think it's worth pointing out that um, you know, there are a number of issues which are up in the air here. Firstly, the the next move of Putin's regime, uncertainty about the pace and, and flow of LNG shipments into the European Union um, to offset these these Russian supply cuts, which are, are now happening in reality and not just a risk. And of course, another thing that's up in the air um, or uncertain is the weather. Um, looking ahead, as we get into the autumn winter period, I think we will be faced with um, potentially supply rationing of natural gas in parts of the European Union, although I would expect the FX market to price that risk in long before we actually get uh, to the autumn winter season. So in terms of, of outright levels in euro dollar, Greg, we've been putting the 98 figure into our euro dollar profiles uh, along the one to three month part of the curve. And I would say for the time being, you know, most of the factors point to us sticking to that view. Before we switch channels and put me on the hot seat, Stephen, I just wanted to ask you about Euro crosses. Is there anything that has happened in intra-Europe Euro crosses uh, alongside the Euro dollar parity test that you think is particularly noteworthy for investors? Yeah, Greg, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, but I have to, to admit defeat on a couple of my near-term Euro cross calls. 
Uh, firstly, in Euro Swiss, um, the pair is is deeper below parity than I had expected uh, at the time of the June FX quarterly when we published, and that's partly due to the fact that the SNB, the Swiss National Bank, has been particularly hawkish. Uh, and you know, this is a recurring theme in Europe, which is that central banks around the ECB, uh, including the Swiss National Bank and central banks in the CEE region. Uh, they've demonstrated that they have fewer constraints on them when it comes to tightening policy uh, than the ECB. The other pair uh, is uh, euro sterling, which is trading heavier than I have been anticipating. Uh, and in recent days, I think that heaviness is you know, certainly related to uh, the Russian uh, energy supply cuts. Uh, the UK is notably less exposed than countries like Germany, uh, but it's also been due to uh, Italian political risk. Near term, I would certainly look for the heavy tone in euro sterling to persist, but I still like it higher at the six to nine month part of the curve, uh, given sterling's weak balance of payments fundamentals. So I, my anticipation is that the 83, 84 range looking further out the curve is, is where the pair should base. Greg, why don't we flip over to the dollar side of the equation now and, and, and to you. So I mentioned the level of 98 in, in euro dollar. Can you explain how you see things progressing here for the dollar and talk about where or when the dollar peak might occur for the cycle? So with this year's, call it 10% rally in the broad US dollar, I, I think there are three main catalysts. One is the aggressive Fed rate hikes. The second is rising risk aversion and recession fears as uh, encapsulated by uh, strongly negative equity returns and inverted twos versus tens U.S. Treasury curve. The last catalyst of U.S. dollar strength has been high oil prices, with the U.S.'s balance of payments being much better insulated against that than key trading partners like Europe, China, and Japan. So I think we're already past uh, peak pricing of Fed rate hikes. And in fact, if you look at uh, FFZ3, which is the December 2023 Fed Funds uh, Futures contract, it was pricing in an end of uh, 2023 Fed Funds rate as high as 375 back in June. But now it's pricing an end of 2023 Fed Funds rate of two spot uh, 80%. So this pricing in of rate cuts for next year uh, you know, that we've seen over the past two weeks. This has taken away some of the U.S. dollar upside pressure. And then uh, oil has also backed off in a big way in July. We're down about $10, uh, you know, call it from uh, 105 a barrel to 95 in WTI. That has taken away some of the upside pressure uh, on, on the USD as well. Lastly, um, the third pillar of dollar strength, uh, the recession fears. You know, that, that is what has kept the dollar somewhat bid in July. But uh, it, it has been a mixed bag because while we've had the treasury curve in, inverting, at the same time, equities are recovering a bit. Uh, so the S&P 500 uh, is up 3.7% month to date, uh, for example. So back to the question, you asked me about where and when the U.S. dollar peak might uh, might get put in. My response is that I think that um, the Fed rate hikes pillar of dollar strength is past peak already, and, and I'm fairly high conviction on that view. I, th I think the recession fears theme is also probably past peak, 
but uh, I'm more like low conviction on that. And then that brings us to the last pillar, uh, oil. With a WTI at 95, as I mentioned, I'm still pretty bullish on oil there. And I admit uh, to, to being somewhat wrong. Um, so I, I talked quite a bit in Q2 about uh, uh, high risks of a, of a summer oil price spike that you know it hasn't realized uh, yet. But I still think WTI uh, goes back to somewhere around uh, $110 a barrel over the next couple months. So I, I think that factor is out there, and it, and it still gives the U.S. dollar some upside. So uh, kind of bottom line, putting all three factors together. Right now, my best guess for the broad dollar index is that, uh, you know, I now say it's going to put in a double top um, with a second peak that roughly matches the uh, July 14th peak. Um, so so that's, you know, let's call it uh, 1% to 3% higher for the dollar index, um, and I give you a time frame over the next one to three months, and and then it's probably over. Right, Greg. And let's say that I'm still looking to play the dollar from the long side in an environment where uh, we have the broad dollar peaking on the one to three month part of the curve. Outside of the European uh, space, what's your preferred preferred pair in that case? So, with the broad U.S. dollar index pullback, we've seen a pullback in dollar yen from. Uh, the high of 139, spot 39 on July 14th to about, well, you know, let's call it 136 and a half now. It's not a huge pullback, uh, just uh, 2%, but I think it's it's a gift. I think dollar yen still has a rally above 140 in it. And uh, all, all it would take is oil back above $100 a barrel and then recession fears uh, abating just a little bit know, as, as would be evidenced by a, a few percent higher in, in equities. So that's where I would put my biggest U.S. dollar long. Um, and, and also, I'd, you know, alongside the dollar, I'd, I'd also be looking to build longs in CAD and in Aussie uh, against yen. Greg, we've got to wind this down soon. But one thing we have not discussed yet is implied volatility in FX or just volatility in general. Uh, and it's it's relatively high at the moment. So, for example, if I look at three-month implied vol in euro dollar, comfortably above its five-year average, with so many moving parts in FX and at the global level, it, I guess this high volatility environment is not surprising. Uh, my take, Greg, before I pass it over to you shortly, is whereas prior vol spikes that we've seen over the last decade or, or so have been abrupt and short-lived, my instinct uh, on this one is that the current high volatility environment, probably in both implied and realized terms, it's got a greater chance of sticking. Any thoughts on that, Greg, before we wrap up? So FX volatility isn't a variable that if you put it into a uh, distribution or, or density chart that, you know, it looks anything like the classic uh, normal bell curve. Uh, basically, it in FX, there's a high vol regime that we're in about 30% of the time, and then a low vol regime that we're in about 70% of the time. We're presently in, in the high vol uh, regime, and although we've seen implied vols in, in both euro dollar and dollar yen back off a, a little bit since July 14th's uh, peak for the US dollar, and, and I guess I, I could see them fading a little bit lower uh, if we get an August doldrums period of market news, uh, which is which is pretty typical. 
Um, but at any rate, I don't think there's much chance at all that we transition all, all the way back to the low vol regime anytime in calendar 2022. There's just too much going on in the global landscape that needs to be resolved before we go back to the low vol world. I think this is a great point to end on, Greg. Uh, to our listeners, thank you again for, for, for joining in. Uh, as always, your thoughts and feedback are welcomed. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal. 